Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Good morning, everybody. Whether you're joining us online or you're here in person, I just want to say welcome to Sunday morning at Sunridge. And if you don't know me, if you're new, my name's Britt. I serve here as the lead pastor. And I love those new lyrics, you guys. You guys, had, am I the only one that's never heard those lyrics? Anybody else? That was so powerful. Thank you, thank you, band. You guys can be seated. Um, they're going to bring me a table here in a second, so I have notes to look at. Thanks, Andrew. Um, you know, in 2016, there a show came out. It was called The Real Story Of, and it aired on Reels. Uh, for about four years, and what it did is it uncovered the true stories of some of the most famous and Oscar-nominated movies, and uh, it went behind the scenes and, and dug deeper into what really happened in those stories, and so here's some examples from season one. Like, do you remember the movie Donnie Brasco? Anyone saw that? It had Johnny Depp in it, and it, was a, it told the story of Joe Pistone, who was undercover with the mafia, really intense movie. And then how many of you saw Unbroken? Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini, who was an Olympic uh, 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 long distance runner. And he, in, during World War II, he was shot down as an aviator and he survived 47 days in a little life raft. And then even uh, part of uh, his time was in a Japanese internment camp uh, or POW camp. And then how many of you saw American Sniper? We saw that. That was the story of Chris Kyle, U.S. Navy SEAL sniper who had 160 confirmed kills in Iraq. So this, this show, The Real Story Of, proved popular as often, you, I think you'd agree with me, sometimes the backstory, the real story, is even more interesting than what they put in the movie. And it, it got me thinking, um, what's the real story of Christmas? Uh, I mean, I think, you'd think we know it, right? We've heard it so often and have seen it depicted in movies and cartoons so many ways. But do people really know the real story of Christmas? Do you? Let's find out. Let's take a Christmas quiz. You guys ready for a Christmas quiz? I love quizzes. And don't be stressed out. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. It's 50-50 because it's true-false. So I'm going to ask you five questions, okay? Here's my five-question Christmas quiz. Number one, true or false, Jesus was born in December. Right, false. The Bible doesn't actually give the exact date. Okay, number two, the sign the shepherds were looking for, supposed to look for when searching for Jesus was the North Star. False, a baby lying in a manger Wrapped in swaddling clothes is what they're looking for. So number three, Christmas wasn't celebrated for over 300 years after Jesus died. That is true. Uh, the first Christmas was celebrated on December 25th, 336 A.D. 
Number four, the three wise men were present at Jesus' birth. That's false. They visited him as an infant. You guys are doing so good. You don't even need this series that I'm so excited to share with you. So number five, the story of the little drummer boy is found in the book of Mark. Oh, you guys were a little weak on that. Uh, little drummer boy, although it's a cool song, and as a former drummer, I really get into it. That's a fictional story. So you, how about one bonus question? I got a bonus question. I put it, it's all up there. The Bible says sheep and other barn animals were present at Jesus' birth. It's false. I knew I'd get you on the bonus question. No animals are actually specified in the Bible. So, how'd you do? Hopefully, you're feeling this, this, this hungering need to hear the real story of Christmas because that's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. So, today, we're going to look at the real story of Joseph, Joseph and Mary, and uh, we learn a lot about them both in, in the very first mention in Luke's gospel, Luke 1.26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Abriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So here are some things, some real facts about Joseph and Mary. Number one, this right there in the passage, Mary was a virgin. You probably knew that. That was in the movie, every movie. And uh, the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin explains how a human being can uh, possess the divine nature because Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. Another fact, engagement was a lot more serious then. That's part of the real story that you may not know. See, engagement in the first century was very different was much more serious and binding than it is today. Here's how an engagement went in the first century. Number one, you were pledged. That's what Luke said. They were pledged. And a girl could be pledged as early as 12 years old. And usually, uh, the engagement was worked out by the parents, not you. And typically, the parents of the groom would propose marriage to the parents of the bride. Those are the good old days as a father of daughters. Actually, I'm really fortunate for all of my son-in-laws. They couldn't have picked better. But I used to think I wanted to pick for them. So after pledging, then came betrothal. And this period of their relationship would be very much like being married today, only without the sex. So very likely, uh, she... the. The, the bride would have moved in with the groom's family. And in fact, the man would even call her his wife during this period. Um, if you read in Matthew, Joseph and Mary are talked about as husband and wife, even though they were only betrothed. Uh, the relationship then was uh, bound already during this betrothal, betrothal period, and it could only be broken through actual legal action of a divorce, or if one of them died. And if one of them died during betrothal, then you were considered either a widow or a widower. The last step of engagement, which is usually a year after being pledged, would be the actual marriage ceremony. So that's part of the real story of Joseph and Mary. And here's another thing you may not know. There was a huge age gap 
between Joseph and Mary. Huge age gap. You've heard the phrase, robbing the cradle. That's Joseph. But this was normal in the first century. Joseph, scholars believe that Joseph was very likely between 30 and 40 years old, and Mary could have been as young as 13. See, marriage for Jewish women in the first century took place at puberty. So she was very likely in her teens, and maybe 15 at the oldest. And so in a patriarchal society, men would marry later in life uh, when they mastered a trade, or uh, they could run the family farm or the family business, because in this relationship, they were going to be the, the sole breadwinner. And probably the earliest a man would marry in the first century would be in his late 20s. So men were almost always older than their bride, but scholars believe that Joseph was actually a lot older, and here's why. First of all, Joseph is never mentioned after Jesus begins his public ministry at age 30. The last we hear of Joseph is when Jesus is 12, when they take Jesus to the temple. And so scholars speculate that Joseph died uh, probably of old age uh, when Jesus was between 12 and 30 years old. And we, we hear, so we hear about Mary once Jesus is an adult, but we never hear anything about Joseph. And when, Joseph, when Jesus is on the cross, he asks John to care for Mary. And this indicates that Jesus was the oldest son. And so he was tasked with caring for his mother. And now he's asking someone outside the family to take, take on her care which says that Mary was a widow. So if Joseph was an older man when he married Mary and then died when Jesus was an adolescent, that would also explain why Jesus might have waited until he was 30 years old to begin his ministry because he took on his father's trade and would be overseeing the family business. And he would have to be engaged in that because he would be the, fin the, 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 uh, the financial support for his family until a younger brother could take over. And speaking of his trade, here's another part of the real story of Joseph and Mary. Joseph wasn't a carpenter. Well, to be accurate, he would have had carpenter skills, but he was probably more like a contractor um, or a builder today. He would have built the things that he built using the resources of what was available in that locality. And remember that in Palestine, there wasn't a lot of wood for lumber. They didn't have a lot of trees, but there was a lot of stone. And stone became, because of that, a basic building material in construction projects there. So Joseph was probably really skilled as a stonemason, but he also had carpentry skills to go along with it. Here's something else that you may not have known, part of the real story. Joseph and Mary were poor. They were poor, probably like really poor. And how do we know that? Well, first of all, unlike many contractors today, contractors in the first century were mainly on the lower economic level of that time. And we also know that Joseph and Mary were poor as a couple because of what Luke tells us about when they take Jesus to be consecrated at the temple in Luke 2, 22, 
Luke writes, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. So here's the backstory to that. In the first century, Jewish families consecrated their children to God at a certain age. And if you had a boy, you waited 40 days before you went to the temple to offer the sacrifice. And if you had a girl, you waited double amount of time to go. It wasn't, it wasn't like a baby baptism, but it would be like a dedication. And the point here was that the parents were committing themselves to raising their children in the context of faith, a lot like our child dedication only with an animal sacrifice. We don't do that here, by the way. So back then, it was usually just the firstborn that was de dedicated because they would re also receive all the inheritance rights as the firstborn. And the dedication uh, per, uh, required you to bring a sacrifice offering to God. And Joseph's and Mary's sacrifice was a pair of doves or pigeons. Now, a better and more common sacrifice would be to bring a lamb. And you were only allowed to bring this lesser offering of doves or pigeons if you got special approval from the temple officials. So you had to prove that you were poor and that you couldn't afford anything else. So Joseph and Mary's poverty then had to be proven in this offering. So then, thus far, what, what are we learning about the real story of Joseph and Mary? We're seeing that they were poor, there was a huge age gap between them, and uh, here's another thing. Joseph and Mary were from the wrong side of Palestine, Nazareth. They're from the wrong side of town. We know that Joseph was originally born in Bethlehem because that's why they had to journey there for the census. You had to register in your birthplace. But they were living in Nazareth. And that's where Mary was from. And Nazareth was a small village at this time, and it had a reputation. It was the hood. So you think about modern cities that we, that when they're mentioned today, um, they have a reputation for crime. And we know that Nazareth didn't have a good reputation because in the first century it was common to be identified by your first name and where you were born. You, like in the Bible, it says Jesus of Nazareth, right? So to be called a Nazarene at this time was a derogatory term. And it's why when Philip tells Nathaniel they've found the person Moses spoke of, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel responds like this in John 146. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? By the way, according to statistics, do you know which is a safer city, Temecula or Marietta? Marietta. I don't see how it's possible either. I live in Temecula. I'm just joking. Don't send your emails. If you do, send them to bsanti at sunridgechurch.org. So, so you see, there's the movie you've seen about Joseph and Mary, or you have this picture, the story that you've heard, but there's also a real backstory to them. They're from the wrong side of town. 
They're poor. Joseph robbed the cradle. And their engagement was a lot more serious and binding than today. And that's where their story gets really good. At least the behind the scenes part that we don't see. Because it actually brings us to this part of the story that gets told all the time. But it's easy to miss the significance of the power of this moment in their lives. Because this story... We're so familiar with it, and it's surrounded by so many other st stories in the Bible that we've, we miss the wow moment. And here's the wow thing. Joseph and Mary both had a defining moment. They had a defining moment. What, what does that mean? Defining moment is that, that time in your life when you're faced with a decision where the way you decide is going to make a difference for everything that follows. It's, we would call it a pivotal moment. It usually involves like a dilemma that we have or a challenge or some kind of risk that we might take. It also usually involves like there's, there's an easy way and there's a hard way, and the hard way is the way we should go. And that decision affects the direction of our entire life. That decision reveals who we are at our core. And it can change the direction of your life or change who you, who you become or who you, who you are. And it's the difference between what is and what could have been. So how, how does that tie in to Joseph and Mary's story? See, the Greeks in the first century had two words for time. There was chronos and kairos. And between the two, Kronos and Kairos, they appear 86 times in your New Testament. Kronos is calendar time. It's where we get the word chronological. It's how we typically think of time. We think of it in, uh, you know, weeks and months and minutes. You get it. But the second word, Kairos, we don't have an English equivalent for. It's the quality of time. Kairos is the quality of time. It's a season. It's, it's an opportunity. So Kronos is linear and quantitative, and Kairos is nonlinear non and qualitative. And that concept of Kairos has its origins in um, ancient Greek archery. And it described the time when an archer or a hunter would release his arrow at the perfect time and in the perfect opening to hit his target. And near the, so like, let me just bring out a few ways that this is in the text of the Bible. Near the end of Jesus' life, he, he, look, he overlooks the city of Jerusalem and he, he breaks down and he cries. Why? Well, Luke 1941 says, as he, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time, the kairos of God's coming to you. So in other words, Jesus is saying they, they missed the moment, not on the clock, or on the calendar, but they missed the significant opportunity that the Messiah was with them. 
And the Apostle Paul, Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5, 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. That's the word kairos. Make the most of this opportunity. So how does that apply to Joseph and Mary having this defining moment? So let's, let's look at Mary first. And the angel tell her, tells her that she's blessed of God and she will give birth to a child through the Holy Spirit and she's to name him Jesus. But that's not her defining moment. She had no control over that. Her defining moment, her kairos, came right after in her response in Luke 1.38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And we read that because we're so familiar with the story. But think about her situation and all the implications of what this means for her. This is going to be a scandal in her small town because she's engaged, but there's not supposed to be sex. And she's going to have to explain her pregnancy to her parents, to her friends, to Joseph. And as she goes along in her pregnancy, her neighbors are going to notice. She's starting to show. And how is she going to tell people about this? And when she does, who's going to believe her? She could have said, uh, you know, thank you, angel. I don't really need that kind of blessing today. <laughs> but instead, she said, I belong to you, Lord. May your word to me be fulfilled. That was a defining moment for Mary. Then what about Joseph? Matthew tells us that when Joseph is first told of Mary's pregnancy, he's knocked back on his heels. He's devastated. But as a compassionate guy, he wants to handle this diplomatically, and he's going to divorce her quietly. Because he's a devout Jewish man in the first century, he can't, he can't just follow through on the marriage because that would affirm her adultery. So he only has two options under Jewish law. Number one, he can divorce her publicly, which would make the whole thing public, and, but it would put Mary to shame. And the upside for Joseph there would be that he would come out looking good, but it would be at Mary's expense. And he, if, he, if he was to divorce her publicly, he's totally within his rights to, to do so. And some of his friends would probably pat him on the back for saying, you know, hey, you did the right thing. You know, you, you stood for righteousness. The second option he had would be to divorce her quietly. So no one would know the reason. He could just send her away. And that would allow him to do the right thing, but not hurt Mary as much. But it could also backfire. Because it could look like Mary abandoned him which would be humiliating for him as a man in the first century. Still, in spite of that, Joseph chooses the quiet divorce. And that's the real story. But then Joseph gets this visit from an angel as well, who tells him this is a God thing that's happening, and that he should follow through and marry her. So Joseph here has a defining moment too. He has a choice to be made. And he makes it. He accepts God's path for he and Mary. And like Mary, he said yes. He said yes to Mary, to marriage, to a baby that wasn't his. 
And he said yes to God. And we're not done. Joseph takes Mary to Bethlehem for the census with him. He didn't have to do that. And, he wasn't, and it wasn't required that she go. Nativity scenes and movies make it look like they, they got to the end just before Jesus was born. But Luke doesn't specifically say uh, how long they were there. Luke 2.6 says when, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And Bible scholars believe that they had left Nazareth actually probably early in her third trimester because that journey would require going over a mountain and, uh, you know, through dangerous territory. And there's just no way that she could have traveled later in her pregnancy. So her hometown probably never knew because she would not have been showing by the time they'd left. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, they typically would have stayed with a relative until the baby coming would necessitate them moving out for space sake and for privacy sake. And that's when they found the inn because it was census and there are no rooms available because the city was besieged with people coming home as part of the census. The point I'm making here, <coughs> excuse me, is that it's, there's every indication here that Joseph wanted to protect her and that's a defining moment for him, his kairos. So that's the real story of Joseph and Mary. And I hope that there was something in it that you learned. But how does that apply to us today? One more time. <clears throat> well, the big idea today comes in the form of a question for all of us to consider, I think. And it's this. How will you decide your next defining moment? Your kairos. Maybe you're in the middle of one right now. Maybe the last six months of your marriage have been really rough. You're not connecting with each other. You're constantly bickering. You're getting sick of it. Maybe this is even making a relationship that's kind of emerging at work for you look pretty good. You're in a defining moment right now. Maybe your college life or maybe your work life is especially hard right now. You're struggling, you're just worn out, and you're thinking, well, I should just quit, or I can drop out, and maybe you should. But it could also be a defining moment for you. Maybe you're thinking about pulling back on the way you serve in your church, or your giving. Maybe you don't serve or support the church at all, there's just so many other things to do with your time and your resources. And that could be a defining moment for you. Because there's been times where you thought, you know, I, you know, like I could do that. Or like, you know, maybe, you know, I should be a part of what's happening here at Sunridge. And, you know, you're just kind of hesitating. I don't know what your situation is. There's a, we could be up here all day listing the potential situations, but I'm just asking you to consider that this could be a defining moment for you. There's a, we could go on and on, you know, may, maybe you're on the edge of like, you know, I, I think I want to join a growth group, but I don't, I don't want to be out at night. I kind of like just staying at home. I like to put, sometimes you think about putting your oar in the water here, you know, and like rowing the boat with us and our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. And you just think, you know, I could raise my hand and say, I'll do that. And you're just kind of on the fence. 
When I first came to Sundridge, uh, we were meeting in Temecula Middle School, and I started by helping setting up chairs on Sunday morning. Had to get to church early. Thank God there was Starbucks. And um, so I would set up chairs at the school, and after a while, they asked me to lead middle schoolers. That was a defining moment. But I said yes, and then we were starting small groups, and I thought, you know, I've always done groups. Like, I'd like to lead that. And I said, can I lead small groups at Sunridge? And they said yes. And then eventually they asked me to be the executive pastor here while I was still driving around in big red. And now here I am, your lead pastor. And it all started by me saying yes to setting up chairs. Now, I hope that doesn't create fear in you. Like if you start to, we're going to stack chairs at the end of the service. I don't want you to think that that that's like a gateway drug to becoming a lead pastor, okay? But as I look back on those moments in my life, I say those were defining moments for me because they've led me to where I am today. And I can remember kind of an opposite story where I think I've told you guys before that I used to be uh, a pastor before I was a fireman, pastor, fireman, pastor. It had been my pathway, and we were in Huntington Beach, and I was just really feeling like I needed to get out of the ministry because I, I was struggling mentally, psychologically, spiritually. I was bitter. I was tired. And I just thought, i got to do something different. I didn't know what. And my sister married a fireman, and he told me what his job was. And I said, what? That's your job? And uh, so I went back to school. Went to Santa Ana College and took fire science courses. And I started testing all over Southern California for a job uh, with a fire department. And I'm telling you guys, like, I can grind hard, but that was really hard. Working hard all day. Went back into the construction field, and then I'd go to school at night. And I didn't know if I could do it. And I didn't know after I went through all this of a year and a half, two years of schooling and testing, that I would even have a job when I got done. And we were so poor. Like I said, I was in the ministry. And, uh, you know, that was a defining moment for me and for Cindy and for my family. And I have to say that other than saying yes to Jesus and marrying Cindy, probably the biggest moment of my life, that decision. But defining moments, they don't come just in these big ways, you know, these big stressful pivots that you make in life when you're totally aware that you're like, you're in that moment. Defining moments come daily. They come daily with my personal Bible study habits. They come day-to-day in the kind of character I have uh, that I demonstrate in my decisions and the way that I treat people. They come in simple choices between hard and easy or right and wrong or, you know, choosing blessing over temptation. It comes in ways where we're we're choosing obedience over caving in to, to a cultural pressure or a preference that we want. It comes in, in choosing to serve others rather than being filled with pride and serving self all the time. They come daily. And, and isn't it true that like most of you know what I'm talking about with the defining moment. And you can think of those in your life. 
oftentimes in those daily ones, isn't it true you don't even realize that you're, that you're in a defining moment? You're just doing the right thing, the best thing. Choosing to put God first in your life and to trust him more than anyone or anything else, that was your defining moment. You know, we have no control over Chronos time. In my little app on my iPhone, when I set it up at night in a hotel or something, it says time. It waits for no man. You know, it's just like you're a victim. We don't know how much it we have. We don't know how, how much those we love have left. But mostly we have control over our Kairos moments because they're a choice. And some of you are in a defining moment with God right now. When Jesus publicly announced his ministry, he said in Mark 1.15, the time, the kairos, has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And you know, some of you have been dilly-dallying with stepping into faith with Jesus Christ, giving your life to Christ, stepping over that line of faith. And I want you to know that you won't always have every opportunity. Because you'll move on, things will get in the way, and you will miss your moment. So if the Holy Spirit is tugging on you, if you can almost picture God, Jesus, waving you into following him, to come forward and to go with him, you are in a defining moment. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, I tell you, now is the time, the kairos of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Each of us comes to those moments in, in different ways. In Galatians 6.10, Paul wrote, Therefore, as we have opportunity, kairos, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That we are, we are in defining moments just to do good to all people, and especially to those that are in the family of God. And how we choose makes all the difference. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. That's the word kairos. Make the most of the opportunities. It's day in and day out. So what does all this have to do, Joseph and Mary, and their real story, and their defining moment, have to do with you and me. Our defining moments are almost always based on our character. They have to do with choosing between right and wrong and overcoming temptation and responding to God when he taps you on the shoulder and tells you to change your ways or to step into this or step back from that. Defining moments are about courage and about guts and determination and trust, and faith. Those moments affect who you are. They will affect what you do, and they will affect who you become. And almost always, those defining moments won't just affect us, they will affect those around us, those we love, and those who depend on us, those who are watching us, and they shape over time 
who we become as human beings. I'm gonna ask the band to come up, and here's the last thing I wanna say about defining moments. Defining moments are our choice to make. As I've said, they come in the form of a choice, a decision for you and I to make. It's our choice, the way we're gonna make that decision. You don't have to say yes to Kairos moment. You can say no. But that's what marked, I believe, what marked the story of Joseph and Mary so profoundly is because they said yes to their Kairos moment. So the real story of Joseph and Mary doesn't just have to do with like setting up a really idyllic and beautiful, uh, you know, nativity scene. Their story hits us right where we live every day because how I choose daily moment by moment, will make all the difference to me, to, to those I love, to those who are watching me, to my church, and ultimately to eternity for many, many people. So say yes to God in your defining moment. And stick with it. Don't quit. And say yes to him over and over again, no matter how big the challenge, when he calls on you, when he asks you to endure something rather than try and run from it, when he asks you to take your stand like in a, in a moral issue, when he asks you to stay in your family and love your family, when he asks you to work harder than you've ever worked before, when he asks you to step into that new thing that you're thinking about doing, when you get that opportunity at work, when your friend asks you like, what's different about you? Your coworker says, you know, why don't you cuss as much as me? You cuss some, but not as much as me. You know, like, what's different about you? You know, what's with the shirt you wear? Like, you go to church? Why do you go to church? You have, a, you have a defining moment, and you can take a stand or you can cave. It will make all the difference in our life. Let's step up to our defining moments. Let me pray for you guys. God, You give us opportunities to be your representative in the world. You give us choices to make. You've given us free will that you, you seem to not tinker with. And your plan for the world depends on us saying yes to you in these defining moments. And for those that are listening or watching or listen to it later, I pray that the story, the real story of Joseph and Mary makes an impact on us when we're stepping into that moment that means so much. Even if it seems insignificant that we get it and we choose you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship together, church. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.